Thank you, Cindy. That is an awesome view of our Lord Jesus laughing. I believe my Jesus laughed. He, he loved and he had, I bet he had quite a laugh. I bet he has quite a laugh. I shouldn't talk about our Lord in past tense. He's still around. Our hope is he's here today. Uh, we have come through the book of First Thessalonians, and this is the last message uh, in a series from this book that called Dynamic Ministry. This is where Paul says goodbye. You know, he was only with those believers for three weeks, but when Paul came there, God came, and lives were changed. It was interesting because the Apostle Paul, there was some persecution and he had to get out of town quickly or he would be injured. And so he wondered how the church was doing and he sent his apprentice Timothy to find out. And Timothy came back with a good report. And oh man, that touched Paul's heart. There there was this bond. (laughs) You know, because you wonder, as you serve God, you think, Lord... Are my little efforts getting through at all? Am I making a difference? And Paul was able to see from this testimony of Timothy, yeah, yeah, God used you, Paul. These people, they love the Lord. And they loved each other. Um, Matter of fact, love is real important in the body of Christ. Someone has said that uh, when love is thick, fault-finding is thin. But when love is thin, fault-finding is thick. And in this situation, in this place, uh, I believe fault-finding was thin from what we read about these believers in this letter. C.S. Lewis said, True friendship is not gazing at each other's eyes, but facing in the same direction toward a common goal and a common God. And we're going to look this morning... Uh, as Paul says goodbye, he reminds them of a faithful heavenly Father. And he reminds them that he needs prayer. That all do walk with Jesus. And lastly, he just says words of uh, one little bit of what he wants to leave for these believers, a farewell. So turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to close out the book here. Verses 23 through the end of the letter. I'll ask when you find that to stand in God's honor. So I'll read from the Scripture. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. Brothers, Pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Master, as we approach you, Lord, thank you that you have already approached us, Lord. You know who we are. You know where we've been. You know where we are now. And yet, before the world began, your word says you chose us, God, to find what life's about in Jesus Christ. And Lord, uh, we thank you for that. 
We thank you for the example of this church and for the Apostle Paul. Father, as we look at these last words, uh, closing this letter, God, I, I pray that your spirit might be evident, that you might speak to us, Lord. Father, I'm not much, but I'm yours, and I ask, Father, that you might um, speak beyond what I can do and speak to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that we might, Lord, hear from you today and that we might be changed. Lord, we just want to be closer to Jesus, so help us to do that. As we continue on in this time, we've labeled worship, and may that occur. May we worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. We have a faithful Father. And you know, I've always been grateful about this, about our God. God is not... His heart is not to be in the demolition business, but in the restoration business. I mean, guys, you know, sometimes you can see a building and and you look at it and you say, that has no hope. The best way to handle that place is a wrecking ball. We just need to knock it down and just start over again with something fresh. And you know, you could say that about each of us. You've heard me say so many times, we're all just a mess. I mean, God, as He looks at us, as, as He sees us as we really are, He could look at us and say, man, the only way to handle that is a wrecking ball. Just get rid of that and start over again. But that's not His heart. I love it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. You know, where it talks about that those in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Um, that's God's heart. It says that, that there'll be a new heaven and a, and a new earth. He, he takes what, what is old, He takes what is broken, and He, he restores, He fixes. I mean, let's face it, um, God's work, he, He's like a, a new cup. Like, you know, can't help talking to Jeff this morning as Miranda and Curtis are... You know, uh, they're working with all of their energy. They've bought this new house, a fixer-upper. And the way Jeff talked, it's definitely needs some upper, some fixer. And the family has, uh, and they've been working to, to try to get this thing together. And, you know, it's amazing. You start fixing stuff, and suddenly you see more stuff that needs to be fixed. And the work just needs to continue. But eventually, as you work, that place changes. And it moves from a house to a home. That's the work of God in His Spirit. He looks out there and He says, Oh man, look at that wreck. And other people might say, Lord, just get rid of that. And God says, No. I see a home there. I see a place that could be fixed up. I see a fixer-upper that I love and that I want to invest myself into. And when I do, that place will change. It'll no longer just be a house. It'll become a home, a home of mine, a place to dwell. And guys, that's God's work. That's what He wants to do. Um, I want to read to you. This is a piece from a, one of my favorite works that I can't remember the name of it. Basically, it, it compares a house and every room of a house to our life with God and how God comes in and works on the house and how He wants every room and area of the house. And, and this is just apart from that work. I want to share it with you. He says, there's just one more matter I might share with you. One day I found him, the Lord, waiting for me at the door. There was an arresting look in his eye. He said to me as I entered, there is a peculiar odor in the house. There's something dead around here. It's upstairs. 
I think it's in the hall closet. As soon as he said the words, I knew what the Lord was talking about. Yes, there was a small hall closet behind lock and key. I had one or two little personal things that I did not want anybody to know about, and certainly I did not want Christ to see. I knew they were dead and rotting things, and yet I loved them, and I wanted them so for myself that I was afraid to admit they were there. I went up the stairs with him, and as we mounted, the odor became stronger and stronger. He pointed at the door and said, It's in there! Some dead thing! I was angry. That's the only way I can put it. I I had given him access to the library, the dining room, the drawing room, the workshop, the rumpus room, and now he was asking me about a little two-by-four closet. I said inwardly, This is too much. I'm not going to give him the key. Well, he said, reading my thoughts, If you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with that odor, you're mistaken. I'll take my bed out on the back porch. I'm certainly not going to put up with that. And I saw him start down the stairs. When you've come to know and love Christ, the worst thing that can happen to you is to sense his fellowship retreating from you. I had to surrender. I'll give you the key, I said, sadly. But you'll have to open the closet. You'll have to clean it out. I haven't the strength to do it. I know, he said. I know you haven't. Just give me the key. Just authorize me to take care of that closet, and I will. So with trembling fingers, I passed the key over to him. He took it from my hand, walked over to the door, opened it, entered it, took out all the putrefying stuff that was rotting there and threw it away. Then he cleansed the closet, painted it, fixed it up, doing it all in a moment's time. Oh, what victory and release to have that dead thing out of my life. As Paul is speaking to this new church, these recent believers, these new converts that have been growing in the Lord, he, he comes to them and he says, you, you have a heavenly Father that loves you beyond all else that you can completely trust and you can bear your life before Him. He loves you. He knows what needs to be cleaned out. He smells the stink. He sees the stink. And and you can be honest before Him. And you'll never regret turning your life over to Him. When He is your Master, He places your life as it is meant to be. He brings you the fulfillment and satisfaction that you long for and that you desire above all else. You see, in the Christian life, He he supplies, but we also are called to cooperate in that renovation work. There is obedience that must follow. Uh, turn me to Second Peter chapter 1. And in Second Peter chapter 1, uh, the Scripture addresses this beautifully. As Peter writes, he, he makes this point. Um, we'll just start at verse 3. We see the first thing he provides us is his divine power, guys. As he starts... Doing that work, uh, notice he said, I'll clean out the odor in the claws. I'll get that stuff out of there. The Lord supplies His divine power. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. You don't have to do the Christian life in your 
measly strength. He provides His divine power. I love that. That word for power is, man, it's the picture of resurrection power. He, he provides that. The power that rose Jesus from the grave is a power that lives in you. Uh, verse 4, Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Not only does He give you His divine power, He gives us these very great and precious promises. Uh, He gives us promises that are found, recorded for us, revealed to us through the book, through the Scriptures, through... God's truth, His word, His mind, His heart, that's, that's here. We have His promises. We, and He gives us strength. They're provided to us. But now He's given, and then He says, but guys, you have to give. So let's go on the scripture. It shows us how we're called to give. Verse five. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. In other words, here's your job. Add goodness and the goodness knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. So here's the work we're called to do, to cooperate, to these qualities we are to live in obedience as His divine power and promises are alive in us. And notice what happens when we don't do that, when we don't cooperate with the Lord, I love this, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from doing what? From being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you're going to bear fruit for Jesus when His divine power and promises are at work in you and you make every effort to add these to your life. And He says, if you don't do this, I love this next part, you got eye trouble. And we think, you know, E-Y-E, I trouble, but really it's just I, that letter, I trouble. He says, if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. God, help us remember. May we not live as if we forget you. Now, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. And I want you to see he, ha- uh, he also talks about preservation here. Um, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, bo- soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the order here. He goes spirit, soul, and body. He moves inside out. So often in religion we move outside in. We think what you got to do is you got to clean up your life. Then you can come to church. Then you can come to God. I don't know how many times I've talked to people and said, why don't you come to church? And they said, man, if I come through that door, the roof will fall in. You just don't know what I'm like. God does. But anyway, it's, it's not our... God will do the cleaning. I love that whoever said it for serving, you know, for evangelism. Uh, someone said there's that big sign up there where God says, uh, you catch them, I'll clean them. You know, that... That's God's work. Let Him, His Spirit, get hold and clean up lives. We just share the message of Jesus with people, guys. The, uh, that's what He wants to do. He, he knows those areas of life. But he preserves us from the inside out. And, and you know, from the outside in, you, you have histories of uh, one guy um, who was known as St. Bernard in the early church. He wanted to be close to God, and he wanted to do these outward activities. And he wore these itchy animal fur clothes, and he lived in a cave for over three months. He started a monastery, and he talked about strict discipline. And out of that, uh, later on, came this pamphlet, 
Someone wrote, said, what must I forsake? A young man asked, colored clothes for one thing. Get rid of everything in your wardrobe that's not white. Stop sleeping on a soft pillow. Sell your musical instruments and don't eat any more white bread. You cannot, if you are sincere about obeying Christ, take warm baths or shave your beard. To shave is to lie against Him who created us, to attempt to improve on His work. I wouldn't want to be a part of that church. That strict legalism just drives me nuts. When you start this list of here's what you do to be holy and here's what you don't do to be holy and it's just a bunch of opinions instead of based on love, loving God and loving one another. That's, that's working from the outside in, not from the inside out, which God fully wants to do in us. Now, next, uh, look at petition here, back to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says in verse 25, Four words here. Brothers, pray for us. I mean, Paul, he's, you know, he's like the spiritual giant to us. He's the head guy of missionaries. He's got it together. He's on fire. He could have said, I have been called of God. I have been sent to you Weak, little, insignificant people. And I'll pray for you that God will wake you and stir you. He didn't do that stuff. What did he do? He said, pray for me. He said, I need your prayers. I mean, really, you think of Paul, you think, here's a guy that, you know, God said go, and he said, I'm at it, Lord. Full blast, I'm going. But he said, "I, I need your prayers. Anyone who is at all valuing the kingdom of God, I won't say worthy because nobody's worthy, understands without a doubt that the awesome anointing and power of the Holy Spirit must be at work or there is no work that matters. You know, it, it talks about in the Scripture, it's not by power nor by my, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. I love the story of Dr. Wilbur Chapman, who had served in a large church in Philadelphia. He came to the church. He stayed there many years. He came to the church as a young man, a gifted speaker. He came. He spoke in the pulpit afterward. This elderly man came up to him and he said, Preacher, you're really young to pastor this church. and You've got a lot to learn, but I like you. And you preach the gospel. So I want to support you. And I promise that I'm going to pray for you. That the Holy Spirit will anoint you and fill you and use you to bring forth the Word. He said, you know, I was a young guy and I thought to myself, oh boy, here we go. A troublemaker. Oh, is he going to be a thorn in my side? He said, but then I heard him say, pray for me. I said, we can't be all bad if he said he'd pray for me. He said, but then the most amazing thing happened. He told me, he said, I will covenant to find another person who will meet with me and pray that God will get a hold of you and anoint you and use you and that he'll start moving throughout this church. And he said, two became four before long. It became ten. Then it became twenty. Then it became a group of fifty that was praying. And then before long... 
It became a group of 200 that would meet and pray that God would break out among that place. And guess what happened? God broke out. He said within three years, 1,100 people came into that church and most of them were men. We all know how hard it is to get a man to church. Why? Because God got a hold of people and it was due to prayer. We sometimes think we'll do the work and then we'll pray. No, I I love the way um, it was um, put forth. I had a brain drain. I hate that when that happens. Then quote comes from, it'll come to me after. He said, prayer doesn't prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Guys, that that is crucial. Paul understood that. And, and I, you know, I say today, guys, you know, maybe you heard the story of a little boy went up to a preacher after church and handed him a quarter. And the preacher said, what is this for? He said, well, my daddy says you're the poorest preacher we ever had. I don't know, some of you may think that. You may say, well, you are a poor preacher. But you want a better preacher? You know the best way to get a better preacher? Pray. I mean, guys, pray for me. Pray for the leadership of this church. Pray that God will cut loose and have His way among us. Look, I told you as I prayed this morning, now I ain't much, but I'm His. But when we pray, God's able to... We're, 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 we're conduits. We're to let the Holy Spirit flow through us. God to move through us. It's not about us creating anything. It's about us being a conduit so He can work through us. And it's so critical. Um, Alright, let's go on through the text here. At least since I don't have a watch, I don't I hardly know where I am when I'm trying to speak here. Uh, he says, Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. In the, in the early church, they would segregate the males and the females. You, husbands didn't sit with their wives. You, females on one side. And, and so when they had this holy kiss, you know, the guys would give a holy gentle kiss to a guy and the females to a female. And that was the practice. I remember when the, Cindy and I were in that mission in New York. There was this one Italian guy in there. Drove the ladies nuts. He'd come with his holy kiss. He'd be going around to the ladies and it'd be... And they'd all be going... Ah! Afterward, you know, they'd be trying to... But when it says holy kiss here, it's really just talking about a, a greeting of affection. Uh, in some cultures in Japan, it might be a holy bow. You know, among many of us, it might be a holy high five. Yeah, Probably a lot holier a high five if Tennessee had pulled that off last night for a minute, right? But it was close, almost. Hey guys, look, I'm a Duke fan. In football, it takes great faith. We did something for the first time since 1995 yesterday. We won back-to-back ACC games. That hadn't happened since 1995. So you have to be a man of great commitment to be a fan of that. Oh, it's somebody clapping over. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> All right, let me get back to the message. That, uh, the Holy Spirit said that wasn't in there. Okay. Um, anyway, moves on from that holy kiss. Show affection. He says, Greet all the brothers of the holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this red or lead. Red. Boy, I'm coming out. I must be dyslexic and not know it. Red before the believers. Um, the importance of reading what God has to say 
and sharing it among God's people. You know, there was a time in church history uh, where people said, uh, you know, only the clergy needs to know what the Scriptures say. The common laity don't need to know it. Luther came along and several others and said, you know, the Scriptures are not meant for a select few. If, God, if God's people get into the Scriptures, God will move. Uh, Luther, he said, Gentlemen, a simple layman armed with a Scripture is to be believed more than the Pope or counsel without the Scripture. He said it's to be read by all the holy brethren. So true. God's Word is power. A uh, letter here. This was written in an editorial newspaper. Dear Sir, I notice that ministers seem to get a great deal of importance on their sermons and spend a great deal of time in preparing them. I've been attending services quite regularly for the past 30 years, and during that time, if I estimate correctly, I've listened to no less than 3,000 sermons. But to my consternation, I discover I cannot remember a single one of them. I wonder if a minister's time might be more profitably spent on something else, sincerely. Well, you can imagine that caused uh, a landslide of letters, controversy. And uh, then there was finally a response that... uh, Made some sense. Dear sir, I have been married for 30 years. During that time, I have eaten 32,580 meals, mostly of my wife's cooking. Suddenly, I've discovered that I cannot remember the menu of a single meal. And yet, I have received nourishment from every single one of them. I have the distinct impression that without them, I would have starved to death long ago, sincerely. The importance of his word. Now, as I close here... uh, He says in verse 28, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It is all about grace. We can't have the peace of God till we make peace with God. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And He provides hope. And he says, I am waiting, respond to my invitation to receive eternal life, to find hope and forgiveness. That's God's grace. That's the fullness of His grace. And we're a tough lot, you know. We want to enter by grace, but then we don't want to live by grace. We want to get just enough grace to get to heaven, but we don't want to get enough grace to change the way we live here. We're a stubborn bunch. We're self-sufficient. And we, we forget what it's really like to hold the hand of our Heavenly Father. To find His strength and His comfort and to live in His grace and to understand that without Him, I am nothing, as the Scripture so beautifully said. Uh, I want to close with I love Max Lucado. And as I, as I close, I just want to read uh, part of one of his books about a guy he ran into named Billy Jack on an airplane flight. And uh, he just makes a point that this guy had a simple trust And I don't think we could go wrong if we could learn a little bit from Billy Jack about a simple trust and understanding he loves us, his grace. Listen to this and then we'll close. Good, I'm glad you're sitting by me. Sometimes I throw up. Not exactly what you like to hear from the airline passenger in the seat next to you. Before I had time to store my bag in the overhead compartment, I knew his name, age, and itinerary. I'm Billy Jack. I'm 14, and I'm going home to see my daddy. I started to tell him my name, but he spoke first. I need someone to look after me. I get confused a lot. He told me about the special school he attended and the medication he took. Can you remind me to take my pills in a few minutes? Before we buckled up, he stopped 
the airline attendant. Don't forget about me, he told her. I get confused. Billy Jack was a little boy in a big body. Can clouds hit the ground, he asked me. I started to answer, but he looked back out the window like he'd never asked. Unashamed of his needs, he didn't let a flight attendant pass without a reminder. Don't forget to look after me. When they brought the food, don't forget to look after me. When they brought more drinks, don't forget to look after me. When any attendant would pass, Billy Jack would urge, don't forget to look after me. I honestly can't think of one time Billy Jack didn't remind the crew that he needed attention. The rest of us didn't. We never asked for help. We were grown-ups, sophisticated, self-reliant, seasoned travelers. Most of us didn't even listen to the emergency landing instructions. Billy Jack asked me to explain them to him. Billy Jack would have understood the idea of grace. Have you? Many haven't. We're sophisticated, mature, an epistle to challenge the self-sufficient. Romans was written for folks like us. Confession of need and admission of weakness, something we are slow to do. That's why I think Billy Jack would have understood grace. It occurred to me that he was the safest person on the flight. Had the plane encountered trouble, he would have received primary assistance. The flight attendants would have bypassed me and gone to him. Why? He had placed himself in the care of someone stronger. One last thought. Billy Jack spent the final hour of the flight with his head on my shoulder, his hands folded between his knees. Just when I thought he was asleep, his head popped up and he said, My dad is going to meet me at the airport. I can't wait to see him because he watches after me. Let's pray. Father, as we come here, we're all kids, whether we want to admit it or not. And there's a daddy that wants to watch after us. Some of us have said, Dad, I need help. Will you watch after me? Will you take care of me? And some of us have decided not to do that of late. And uh, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us. Uh, Maybe there's one here who is self-reliant and tough and can handle problems. But you've never really reached out to the dad of heaven. You've never said, uh, I'm weak. I need you to help me. Will you watch after me, Father? Will you forgive me? Lord, uh, touch that one this morning. May new life begin. And uh, may that one find out that you're right next to him or her. And that you want to provide grace. Father, for the rest of us that are already part of the family, but maybe we've just decided to stay away from you, to follow you at a distance. And like Billy Jack, Lord, we have decided it's time to come close because we do have a daddy that says, I want to watch after you. And I pray, Lord, that you would be free this morning to touch our hearts, God, to come to an altar to pray, to come to the front to, uh, to pray with a pastor, but to to share with God's people of what you're doing in in my life, uh, in your life. Uh, Lord, um, have your way this morning by your Spirit, God. We need you, Lord. Speak to us. Bring us forward in obedience. In your name we pray. Amen.